0: Well, thank you very much, and you are listening to The Jazz Focus on WETF, South Bend, Indiana, The Jazz Station. My name is John Clark. Welcome to the program. Hope you uh, have been enjoying these programs, and uh, hope you're taking time to tune into them. We're playing quite a range of jazz for you, uh, all sorts of things from the very earliest styles of New Orleans jazz and blues up through at least the bebop era and maybe a little bit beyond that as well. So today we're doing a program a little bit different. We're organizing this program around a certain uh, type of recording session. And this recording session uh, I call the road trip. So this was in the 1920s, as you probably uh, could tell from our first two selections. Uh, typically in the 1920s, if your band was hired or contracted to make a recording, you had to go to where the recording studios were. And that was probably in Chicago or New York or a few regional centers like Richmond, Indiana, which had the Janet Record studios and uh, other places like that. But if you were a band that played for example, in New Orleans, you might not have had the opportunity to make records unless you toured outside of the city. Well. Uh, In the early 1920s, from 1920 to 1923, 24 or so, the industry, recording industry, had opened up considerably. Before that, it was generally assumed that there was not a market for African-American music uh, performed by African-American artists. There were occasional examples of string bands and... uh, um, you know marching bands and and military bands and even some early proto-jazz groups by people like Wilbur Sweatman and James Reese Europe uh, that had uh, recorded and done fairly well but those were the exceptions rather than rule the rule it came to 1920 and the success of a singer named Mamie Smith who recorded in August of 1920 just about exactly a hundred years uh, before the day I am recording this uh, radio show, in fact, she was given the opportunity to make a couple recordings earlier in the year, and that was pretty unusual. African-American singers, especially women singers, were not uh, allowed to make records because there was a perception that their voices wouldn't record well, uh, also that audiences uh, would not be interested in the music that they would have to offer. Well, Mamie Smith uh, recorded two songs in February on Valentine's Day of 1920 that were written by Perry Bradford, an African-American Composer who uh, basically talked his way into the OK recording studios and had uh, Mamie Smith record them. They were successful enough that he uh, was allowed to bring her back in August of that year to record two more of his tunes, one of which was a blues called the Crazy Blues. And this initiated a uh, recording avalanche, tidal wave, if you will, of uh, black singers, African-American women primarily who have come to be known as classic blues singers, Uh, starting with Mamie Smith, who was not really a blues singer. She was more of a vaudeville cabaret singer, and then leading through people like Alberta Hunter, Ethel Waters, and then finally to Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey, and so on, all through the 1920s. And this element of the recording industry uh, was enormously popular uh, until the late 1920s and really a little bit before the depression hit, they had kind of uh, lost their popularity. But uh, a very large part of the success of the recording industry uh, were uh, these women and their associated jazz acts. And often they were called race records because they were released on a different uh, numeric system within the catalog of whatever recording company, whether it was OK or Victor, Columbia, what have you. So as I said, these were uh mostly, initially anyway, made in New York or Chicago. Well, time came when somebody, actually a fellow named Ralph Peer, had the idea to uh, bring the recording equipment to the bands, rather than the other way around. He had been in the studio when Mamie Smith had made her famous recording of Crazy Blues, and he saw how popular that was, so he uh, received permission from the higher-ups at OK Records to load up a big touring car with recording equipment, and this was during the uh, acoustic recording era, so they weren't using microphones, they were using horns and things like that, so it was quite a lot of equipment, and he started going on these field trips, and one of the first ones, in fact it might have been the first one, was made to New Orleans in March of 1920. And uh, if you listen to my podcast, The Jazz Focus, on Anchor.fm, Spotify, and different places, uh, I did a uh, program recently that uh, talked about the first couple of recording sessions in March of 1924, January of 1925, and those were recordings done by Ralph Peer, and they were uh, largely of dance bands that were active in New Orleans at the time, mostly white bands, although there were a couple of African-American bands that were recorded as well. So these recordings and uh, subsequent ones on field trips to places like Atlanta and Nashville and St. Louis and different places uh, proved to be very very popular with local Uh, Audiences, For example, if you recorded a band that was popular in New Orleans, you'd go down, record them, uh, make some records, send those records back down to New Orleans, and they would sell very well. And they might sell well in the rest of the country and encourage that band to tour. And so this uh, business plan was a new one, but a very successful one. And all of the recording companies, many of the recording companies, decided to try their hand at these things as well. So our topic today will be a couple of different sessions that were done in New Orleans in 1927. Actually two of them in March of 1927 done by the Victor Company and in April of 1927 by Columbia and we get a little snapshot of the New Orleans musical scene from that period. Even now in 1927 and in 1924 for that matter New Orleans was regarded as kind of the birthplace of jazz. Um, and certainly they had quite a few very interesting bands well beyond the style that we would consider New Orleans jazz or traditional jazz or Dixieland or whatever you care to call it. Um, They were uh, playing dance music. They were playing blues. They were playing a real cross-section of American popular music. Some of these sessions even recorded gospel groups, um, blues singers, and uh, other uh, related acts as well. We're going to concentrate mainly on the jazz players, although we do have one blues singer to talk about a little bit later. So our first two recordings were done by Joe Manone's Harmony Kings, and Joe Manone was better known as Wingy, Wingy Manone. He had been born and raised in New Orleans. He was a a white trumpet player. Actually, I believe he was playing cornet at this point. He had been in a streetcar accident when he was a boy and had lost his right arm, Uh, so hence the name Wingy, and he played left-handed. And so he had led bands in New Orleans. He had gone on the road fairly early. He was a very curious character very interesting sense of humor and uh Uh, interesting lifestyle as well. He loved Louis Armstrong and played in that style um, as much as he could. And uh, there were times in his career where he was a very, very effective trumpet player. He was always a very good entertainer. Uh, He had gone to St. Louis. He had made some early recordings with the original Crescent City Jazzers in St. Louis. Uh, He had been in Chicago for a while, made some other recordings there that were not released. And then he came back to New Orleans for at least a short period in the spring of 1927 and made these recordings before returning to... uh, Chicago by way of New York uh, a little bit later in the year. So his band, in this case, uh, was made up of New Orleans natives, a man named Hal Jordy who played clarinet and alto sax. We heard some clarinet solos by him on these two recordings. By the way, the two recordings were called Cat's Head and Ringside Stop, and these are from April 11th of 1927. Hal Jordy was known more as an alto player, and I believe he had a a club later on in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, These recordings also feature some very neat little reed duets. Wingy Minone was not a music reader, so he was... Was uh, playing by memory, ear, faking, what have you, but clearly there was an arrangement here. The two reed players, Hal Geordi and on tenor sax, Bob Sax, had uh, worked out some interesting little parts behind uh, the trumpet solo and also some duets in the course of the arrangement as well. Johnny Miller was on piano. He recorded under his own name a little bit later. Steve Brau was on guitar and banjo. He actually died in World War II. I believe he was killed at the Battle of the Bulge, but he recorded several times during these uh, uh, road trips and he even got a solo on Ringside Stomp. Arnold Loicano played string bass. He was from a famous New Orleans family. John Ryan played drums. And we also heard a little scat singing by Wingy himself on the Ringside Stomp, which was a somewhat disguised version of a Dixieland standard tune by the original Dixieland jazz band called the Ostrich Walk. So those are our first two tunes. Uh, That was a band that I guess was playing uh, regularly. I'm not sure if Wingy Manone was a regular in this band. He may have just taken over an existing band and uh, superimposed himself on some of their arrangements. But very uh, fun little group playing some very nice jazz and had some good trumpet playing or cornet playing as well by old Wingy. So we're going to go on to a couple of other bands, also uh, white bands at this point, And then we're going to uh, hear some African-American groups a little bit later on. So the next group was led by another cornet player who came to be known as Johnny Wiggs he was a, an important part of the new orleans revival from the late 40s all the way up until he died in the uh, i think it was the late 70s or even the early 80s he had been a school teacher in new orleans and he had uh, trained a number of uh, future jazz stars including uh, george gerard on trumpet Uh, For the purposes of this recording, he was going under his uh, given name, which was John Hyman. His full name was John Wiggington Hyman, hence Johnny Wiggs. And this band is called John Hyman's Bayou Stompers, featuring John Hyman, Johnny Wiggs on cornet, Charles Hartman on trombone, Ellery Mazur on clarinet, Alvin Gautreaux on harmonica. We have a couple of harmonica solos. Horace Diaz on piano, who later went on to play with some big bands. Nappy Lamar on guitar. He was better known for his association with uh, the Bob Crosby band later on. And Monk Hazel on drums. Monk Hazel shows up playing drums on a lot of New Orleans sides from this period all the way up into the uh, 1950s. So the two tunes we're going to hear are Ain't Love Grand, subtitled Don't Get Funky. And the Alligator Blues, subtitled La Nyap. So, those are our two tunes by John Hyman's Bayou Stompers. And then we're going to go from there uh, to an interesting little band called the New Orleans Owls. And uh, I'll tell you more about them when we uh, get onto the other side. But I'll tell you the two tunes that we're going to hear from that point are That's a Plenty, the Lou Pollock Jazz Standard. Even by 1927, it was a jazz standard. And an original tune called Meat on the Table. So, those are our tunes right now. We're going to hear Ain't Love Grand, Alligator. Uh, Blues, That's A Plenty, and Meat on the Table. some interesting and little-known jazz from the New Orleans period, 1927, uh, March and April. So we started out with John Hyman's Bayou Stompers and... uh, that uh, featured a, a nice little uh, rehearsed band, obviously. Certainly not something in a style that we would consider New Orleans jazz. It was very much a dance orchestra, as was the next one after that. Um, and In some ways, it sounded more like one of the Red Nichols types of groups from New York. Very clean, very uh, intricately played, cleanly played intricate arrangements, I should say. Featuring the cornet of John Hyman, better known as John Wiggs. Charles Hartman had some good trombone work on there. Elry Mazur on clarinet. Uh, Alvin Gattreau on harmonica, Horace Diaz on piano, Nappy Lamar took a very interesting guitar solo on, uh, I think, the second number where he sounded very much like Lonnie Johnson, who was an African-American New Orleans player who had long since left uh, New Orleans to go to St. Louis and make his name as a blues guitarist, violinist, and singer later on. And then, of course, Monk Hazel on drums. So we heard Ain't Love Grand, subtitled Don't Get Funky, and Alligator Blues, subtitled Lanyap. Following that, we went to uh, the New Orleans uh, Owls, which was a a group of musicians, really none of whom are are well known. This was a a band that uh, played at several establishments in New Orleans. We heard uh, two tunes, That's A Plenty, which, as I said, was a jazz standard from uh, the 1920s. It was composed actually in the 1910s. 1914, I believe, is a piano ragtime tune by Lou Pollock. It was taken over by the New Orleans Rhythm Kings, uh, who we are not going to hear today, but are on my podcast from uh, from one of the earlier sessions. Uh, They recorded that in 1922. And uh, this is a 1927 version of the same tune. That's A Plenty followed by Meat on the Table. And that band was led by the clarinet player, who also played alto sax. We heard him playing mostly clarinet on those. His name was Benji White. Uh, Bill Padron on cornet... Frank Nettle, or Netto rather, on trombone. Pinky Vidakovich played clarinet and alto sax. I don't believe he soloed on there, although he uh, made some recordings in the revival period. He was also a, a, a voice artist, I believe, on the radio in New Orleans in the 1940s and 50s. Lester Smith on tenor. Mose Farrer on piano, Rene Gelpi on banjo and guitar, Don Le, uh, Dan LeBlanc on tuba. We heard some wonderful tuba playing in there. And Earl Crum on drums. So as I said, That's a Plenty and Meat on the Table. Those were our four tunes from that particular set. So now we're going to uh, go to some african-american bands that were recording at the same time we're going to start with louis Dumain and his jazzola eight this is from again march of 1927 that victor recording trip this was a working band playing uh in um the african-american section of town of course this was uh, uh segregated times and uh very rarely did you have mixed bands playing there were a few examples of um Creoles who were considered African Americans but who passed as white and who played in white bands. Um, not so much on this uh, particular recording trip, but uh, in the later one they did, uh, making some interesting music. This band uh, only had one other. One performer in it who recorded again after this March 1927 date, that was Earl Humphrey on trombone. He was a member of the Humphrey family. He was, I think, the eldest brother playing trombone. His younger brother, Willie Humphrey, played clarinet, and his very younger brother, uh, Percy Humphrey, played trumpet, and their father was a music teacher, and uh, so they got very good uh, training, as you can imagine. He plays trombone on this side. Louis Domaine, uh, the leader of the band, played cornet. On clarinet, we had Willie Joseph, Tenor Sax, Louis James on piano, Morris Rouse banjo, Leonard Mitchell. Uh, he uh, also sings. Not on the track that we're going to two tracks we're going to hear, but he was a singer as well. Joe Howard on tuba. He was uh, uh, well known for playing in uh, marching bands and brass bands. And James Willigan on drums. And we're going to hear two tunes right now. We're going to hear "Pretty Audrey" and "Tu And that supposedly was uh, a kind of an Uh, onomatopoetic rendering of a Creole saying uh, Tu wa back wa and uh, some very fine jazz playing on both of those We're going to pull in a third tune by the same band, a reduced version of that band, backing a blues singer named Ann Cook and the song that she's going to sing is called um, Mama Cookie. Now, Anne Cook was uh, a formidable lady, and apparently the musicians here and elsewhere were scared to death of her because she was prone to violence and some other things. She was a, a worker in Storyville. We'll leave it at that. Um, and she became a, a blues singer. And then later in life, I believe, she found religion and became quite an advocate for uh, for, for for her religious beliefs, and she started singing and recording occasionally gospel tunes. So very interesting uh classic New Orleans figure there. And we're going to hear, as I said, Mama Cookie, which will feature uh, Louis Dumain on cornet, Willie Joseph on clarinet, Morris Rouse on piano, and Leonard Mitchell on banjo, along with the formidable, estimable Ann Cook. And then the last two tunes of that session, we or that set rather, we are going to hear um, two tunes by Oscar Celestan and uh, the band that he was leading. And I'll tell you about those when we uh, get to that point. So the five tunes that we are going to hear are Pretty Audrey, Tua Bakawa, Mama Cookie, and then the two Celestin tunes, which are, um, which ones did I I side on? I changed my mind on these after a while, but uh, As You Like It is one. And Papa's Got the Jim Jams Now. Those are our two tunes for Oscar Celestin.
1: jim jams, when I want her what I do. I mean to let her know who I hey, hey. am. got the jim jams, he well, I went to the show to fight no more, when I come back she was in the door. Hey, hey, Papa's got the damn jams Papa's got the damn jams now. Hey, 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 Papa's got the damn jams I said, Mama's got the damn jams And when I tell her what to do, I mean to let her know who's who. Hey, hey, Papa's got the jam-jams, he had them since night. But I like on your style, your pretty hair, but that don't get Papa anyway. Hey, hey. Papa got the jam jams, Papa got the jam jams now. <laughs>
0: There we have some interesting sides as well. These are done by African Americans on this road trip to New Orleans in March and April of 1927. So we started out with Louis Demaine and his Jazzola 8 playing Pretty Audrey and Two Wabakawa. Um, as I said, Louis DeMaine on cornet, and I told you the personnel earlier, and a slightly uh, smaller version of that group uh, featuring Louis DeMaine on cornet, Willie Joseph on clarinet, Morris Rouse on piano, and Leonard Mitchell on banjo, uh, backed singer Ann Cook on the next recording, which was Mama Cookie, and as I said, she was uh, a formidable character. She later went over to gospel and she made a recording in the 1940s with Wooden Joe Nicholas's band, but she refused to sing blues. She would only sing gospel from that point on. So following those three recordings, we went to one of the most interesting bands I think we've heard, uh, Oscar Celestan, Papa Celestan's original tuxedo jazz orchestra. And Papa Celestan was a cornet player. He was not a jazz player. He usually had another uh, cornet player in his band who did the jazz, and he played the lead. They played for high society functions. They were an African-American band that had been around since before World War I and continued until uh, Celestan's death in 1954. They had a layoff during the Depression, but they became a tourist attraction a smaller group, uh, more in the Dixieland, New Orleans traditional jazz style from the middle 1940s up until Celestan passed away in 1954. This version of the band had two trumpets, Celestan and Richard Alexis on cornet, August Rousseau on trombone, three saxophones, Sid Carrier on soprano and tenor, Earl Pearson on tenor sax, and Paul Polo Barnes on clarinet and alto. And He was very well featured on the first tune, which was called As You Like It. He had uh, played with King Oliver and many different groups. Jeanette Salvant on piano, John Marrero on banjo, his brother Simon Marrero on tuba, a brass bass playing a very athletic style on some of those uh, passages, and Abby Chinee Foster on drums. He also sang the second tune, Papa's Got the Jim Jams Now. So that was two, two, were two recordings by this band, which was a a very notable group at the time in New Orleans, playing for high society functions, Uh, maybe not um, jazz, uh, cutting edge jazz, but certainly a very energetic form of jazz. It might have been at its peak about 10 years earlier. So you've been listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, WETF, and uh, we are broadcasting from South Bend, Indiana, the jazz station, WETF. And uh, take a listen to my podcast, The Jazz Focus, on Anchor.fm. And uh, as I said, I posted another um, uh, podcast from these same sessions a couple of years earlier, Road Trips to New Orleans in 1924 and 25. So we're going to finish up with two tunes by another very uh, well-known, well-documented black big band at the time, Sam Morgan and his jazz band. This was a band that played probably somewhat less high society functions. They were more of a, a of a sort of an earthy dance band, I guess, and they toured around the Southwest and the Gulf District quite a lot, whereas Celestin, Celestin stayed put in New Orleans. The Sam Morgan band traveled quite a bit. This features Sam Morgan on cornet, uh, his brother Ike Morgan on cornet also. Jim Robinson became very well known in the revival period on trombone, Earl Fouché on alto sax, Andrew Morgan, another brother, on clarinet and tenor. We'll hear him playing clarinet on the second number. Tink Baptiste on piano. Johnny Davis on banjo. Sidney Brown playing string bass. And this is our first uh, hearing of a string bass. This shows uh, the next style of jazz coming up. Leading into swing. Sidney Brown is playing a very straight four beats in a lot of this, uh, both of these recordings. And then Nolan Williams on drums. And the two tunes we're going to hear are a gospel tune. Sing On, which was unusual. This was one of the first times I believe it was the first time that a gospel tune had been played on record by a jazz band, and people thought it was sacrilegious, but a lot of people did it from that point on. So sing on, and then we're going to finish up with a tune called Steppin' on the Gas, Sam Morgan and His Jazz Band. So hope you enjoyed this program. This uh, has given us quite a broad range of New Orleans jazz. And uh, hope you tune in again to the Jazz Focus, and enjoy these tunes. (laughs)